This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Front Row on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. The Holborn Consort specialise in performing Renaissance music on replicas of recorders from the 16th century. The group have performed concerts throughout Europe, Asia and the United States and they've collaborated with numerous ensembles and conductors and will be performing across several states in Malaysia and here in KL they are collaborating with Renaissance Baroque period ensemble, The Wicked Music People. Together they are going to present Bassanos of London that showcases instrumental music from the court of the English King Henry VIII. So we're going to find out what's in store in this international R&B and that's Renaissance and Baroque crossover from Thomas Treeshine. He's with the Holborn Consort and also Yuan Ng, who's with the mu- Wicked Music People. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you today? Great. Thank you. Lovely to have you uh, on the show with me today. So I think, you know, maybe for uh, anyone who's not familiar, maybe we can start off with a a more in-depth introduction to the work that both of your groups do. Uh, Thomas, you want to start off to tell us a little bit about Holborn Consort? Uh, Very interesting story, I know, involving uh, your teacher as well. You want to tell us how that came to be? Right. So my name is Thomas Treeshine, and I'm uh, one of the three members of the Holborn Consort. Um, The other two members are... Teun Wisse, a colleague of mine uh, with whom I studied uh, the recorder together at the Utrecht Conservatory. And the third member is our teacher, our former teacher, Heiko Terschevet, one of the uh, recorder teachers at the Utrecht Conservatory. And um, indeed, it's quite special that uh, we both, so Teun and me, we studied the recorder with Heiko. And then we finished our studies, uh, went our own ways. We're actually Funnily enough, both living in Switzerland right now, working as recorder teachers ourselves. And um, about uh, one and a half years ago, we um, asked Heiko, because we always stayed in touch with him, we asked if um, he would be interested to form a recorder consort with us. And it's maybe nice to explain a bit also what a consort is. It's a a group of instruments, um, comparable maybe, um, it's a homogenous group actually, so like a string quartet, but it used to be, uh, it was quite common to play um, uh, uh, music uh, in the Renaissance period together on these groups of homogenous instruments. And that's what you call a consort. So you had, for example, a consort of Renaissance flutes or Renaissance recorders or also of string instruments like gambas or um, early fiddles and also other wind instruments like dolcians or cornettos. Well, there were a whole bunch of Renaissance instruments that played in groups together of different sizes. And then you could also mix up these groups and then you had a mixed or broken consort. And um, we have many pictures from this time where you see this happening, where you have little quartets or quintets or trios of these instrumental groups playing together, forming a sort of Renaissance orchestra. So it's sort of a very early version of, uh, of playing instrumental music together. And that's what you call consort. And we have a recorder consort. 
Okay, that's lovely. And in um, and the 16th century, right? So how do you perceive that unique sound uh, qualities of the 16th century recorders, you know, and their suitability for Renaissance music? Um, that's a very interesting question. I think there is, of course, we have, I mean, it's music from very long ago. So, um, of course, we don't know exactly how these instruments were played or how they sounded back then, how quick these people played how they uh, instrumented the pieces because often you have we play a lot of vocal music also so um, we can assign different instruments to this music um, specific instrumentation was not very common yet so you could play this music you could sing it you could play it with different instruments uh, so a big inspiration for us on how we play this music are actually the instruments from this time um, so there's a very beautiful collection of instruments in uh, Vienna and also in Brussels um, because instruments from this period are quite rare. So, um, yeah, we base a lot of uh, our information about how we play this music on those original instruments. It's maybe very nice to mention that um, uh, one of the members of the Horborn Consort, Heiko der Schechet, is also a fabulous uh, recorder maker. And he actually went to the museum in Vienna to study to study these instruments, to measure them, and he uh, made copies of those instruments himself. Wow. And we will be bringing those instruments to Malaysia and playing the concerts on those instruments. Okay, so really rare opportunity for folks to see, uh, you know, these instruments and in person, no less. So really, really quite exciting. Um, let's I just want to quickly ask uh, you and of course uh, you're no stranger to the show but you know just for anyone who might not be familiar you want to just remind folks about the Wicked Music People and uh, the work that you guys do uh, Wicked Music People uh, began I think around 2017 um, as uh, an early music ensemble uh, early music I mean this basically ties into what Thomas is just saying. Um, we perform music from uh, the late Renaissance period uh, through to the Baroque period on period instruments. Um, I think the the idea of the period instruments is 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 quite critical to this mission, uh, as is also from its practice um, uh, the study, uh, the academic study of treatises uh, and 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 how people play the techniques that were used uh, at the time. So what we've done is um, very slowly built an ensemble uh, with things like Baroque violins. I play the viola da gamba, which is also a consort instrument. Um, although at the moment I am one of two players in Malaysia, <laughs> the other um, is is uh, Dr. Yili Chang, who will be joining us incidentally uh, for the concert. She also plays harpsichord. She's a triple threat. She plays harpsichord, um, gamba, and rock violin. Wow. Uh, I think she may have done her master's in um, harpsichord and her PhD in uh, her doctorate in, in, in violin, something like that. Um, so it's a very um, interesting place to be in, particularly in Malaysia, because um, I think classical music as a whole, the genre of what we call classical music, is a little bit niche. Mm. So where we are, we have a niche of the niche. And I think what we do is, for the most part, um, outreach. We reach out to new audiences uh, through very old music uh, that is also very alien geographically and culturally to the experience, uh, the modern day experience of the average Malaysian. Um, I think um, uh, it's safe to say that uh, when we play, 
we bring a different soundscape and a different experience to the audience. And I think that is what makes it so very interesting. Um, in Europe, correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas, but in Europe, um, early music is a boom industry. Uh, we have more people studying period instruments at the universities and conservatories than we do orchestral, uh, regular orchestral um, uh, music. I think this has been going on for some time because of the great uh, output in terms of recordings. Uh, that's happening there now. In Malaysia, of course, we don't have any of this. So there's no demand uh, and there is, for the most part, also no awareness. So I think one of the things that we do uh, here and our colleagues in Singapore, Vetgat Barok, what they do over there is to popularize or at least publicize that, the fact that this, uh, this music exists and these instruments exist. Um, the, the the period instrument part of it is, is very difficult in Malaysia. Um, we don't have a harpsichord. We didn't have a harpsichord that's publicly available. Um, having one imported uh, from Europe or from America or from Australia would have been prohibitively expensive. So we ended up building it ourselves. Wow. Um, I think for the most, again, uh, you, you have to find ways and means to make the thing happen. Um, and so that's what we did. Uh, but there are other challenges. For example, uh, staying on gut strings, um, uh, it's very sensitive to humidity and so on and so forth. So yes, it's it's a challenge, uh, but that's what we believe in with the music people, and we continue to push that forward. So there's that similarity there that I'm seeing between you and Thomas, where um, you built the replica, or you built replicas, or you had to build your own uh, instruments because uh, so rare and so hard to find. And uh, I mean, any challenges uh, in in those sorts of you know in the construction of those replicas? Uh, maybe Thomas, you want to take that. Uh, when you when you were embarking on this, well, it's actually in, interesting to um, think about that in the Renaissance period you had these people that were called homo universalis, the universal human being that could be a master in many trades, and you see this in music in particular very uh, strongly, especially with the wind instruments. And then we come actually immediately to this Bassano family. This uh, around which we uh, made this program that we will be performing in Malaysia. Um, they were a family of uh, virtuosic instrument players. Mm -hmm. They played several wind instruments, but they're also known actually to have played uh, string instruments, but mainly wind instruments. And they were, they sort of built throughout the whole 16th century, really from the beginning of the 16th century until the early 17th century, sort of a dynasty of um, uh, uh, instrument building. They had uh, uh, several workshops, one in London, one in Venice, and they were the main producers of wind instruments in Europe. So you see also there a connection between that it's very close, the trade of composition, so uh, creating music and improvising, of course, to um, uh, uh, playing music yourself, uh, uh, being a performer at the main courts in Europe, and instrument making. So we know, and that's also not only of the Renaissance period, but also in the Baroque period, another famous, uh, uh, for example, another famous example is uh, uh, Jacques Otteter, a French composer at the, at the court of uh, Louis XIV, who was a very famous, also wind instrument maker and player. And you had these families, so where we know several people or several generations long they made instruments and maybe because of that and also working in guilds um, in, in, in companies um, uh, got to an extremely high level of instrument making 
to which even to nowadays where we with our modern technology can't really um, uh, get the same quality of instrument making as they probably had back then. Of course, it's a bit tricky because these instruments are several hundreds of years old, so they they are not the same. How wood is a, a natural product; it changes over time. Um, we don't know exactly how these instruments played back then. Uh, often there are some challenges; they don't play as well as probably they used to play. But still, there's some quality, some maybe some spirit that you can feel in these instruments that is incredibly uh, uh, high and uh, attractive still and gives a lot of inspiration to perform this music. Okay, all right. Let's just go for a quick break, gentlemen. When we come back, uh, let's discuss the program and what's in store. I'm speaking today to Thomas Treeshine from the Holborn Consort and Yuan Ng from the Wicked Music People. We're talking about their upcoming international R&B collaboration and concert. That's Renaissance and Baroque concert called the Southeast Asia Tour of the Holborn Consort. Stay tuned for more on Front Row, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Front Row on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me online today are Thomas Treeshine from The Holborn Consort and Yuan Ng from The Wicked Music People. Together, they will be performing on the Southeast Asia tour of The Holborn Consort, an international collaboration featuring Renaissance and Baroque music. Uh, and we're finding out all about it today. So, gentlemen, can we now talk about the programme, yeah? Um, so, it's centred around the Bassano family, and that's this famous Venetian family who were called to London by uh, King Henry VIII to form a consort at his court. Uh, can you tell us more? So um, there uh, was already in Ven- around Venice was this family Bassano uh, living. They at some point moved to Venice and opened a workshop there. They, we know that several members of the family worked um, at several courts as uh, uh, musicians. And we know that they built instruments. And then they even took a few trips to London to uh, probably to sell some instruments to or to promote their instruments. And um, we know of King Henry VIII that he was a huge lover of music. He was also a composer. He had a, a, a chapel at his court of musicians. Uh, they must have played extremely well. We have a lot of music uh, from this time and from, this, uh, from his surroundings. And apparently he was so impressed by these visits of the Bassanos um, that at some point via his ambassador in Venice, um, he arranged that uh, a move for five brothers, Bassano brothers, that moved to London permanently. He gave them uh, accommodation just outside of the city of London in a uh, former monastery, which is described as a quite luxurious place with uh, um, uh, clean water and uh, not in the, uh, in, the, in the dirty, smelly city, but uh, outside where they lived and um, also opened a workshop. And from there on, this first generation, these five brothers, they all had uh, 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 families, they brought their families. And then these children also went into the um, instrument making business. So we know uh, that a whole branch of this family was established in London around 1540 and then stayed there and even exported that from England um, uh, instruments all over Europe and even to uh, they even these instruments tr- even traveled to uh, the colonies uh, on expeditions. So um, yeah, that's the story sort of that we're telling with this program. These five brothers uh, are in the 1530s, 1540s settling in London and playing at the court of King Henry VIII, composing music, working with composers 
at the court, but also perhaps in their little suitcases, along with all their instrument making tools and, and other uh, belongings, maybe importing some Italian music to London and uh, bringing maybe the Italian uh, uh, Renaissance style, helping bringing that um, to, the other, to the other part of Europe, which was um, back then, of course, an, a, a massive travel. Yeah, now we just take, can easily take <laughs> an, a plane from yes. uh, Rome to London or from Venice to London, but of course, that was a huge travel taking several months crossing the Alps, um, uh, was considered a really uh, uh, um, uh, a world uh, expedition almost back then. Okay, how exciting! And then we get to hear it here um, in, in Malaysia. And um, you and you know, I mean, are, are you familiar? Obviously, you are familiar as well uh, with this with this music and with the Bassano family, right? You want to tell us, you know, how your experience of, of learning about it and and hearing the music as well. Yeah, if I may, if I might um, add to what Thomas is saying, sure. Um, I think the introduction of Italian Renaissance music to England is supremely important. Um, the Renaissance arrived late in England because it's an island that's far flung on the edge of the map in those days, whereas the Renaissance began in, in Florence. Um, by the time it reached England, it took a couple of hundred years to reach that. So I think um, what happens what happened is people like the Bassanos brought this music to England and you have to remember that England and, 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 and Catholic Europe was at, were, were at war at the time. As mm. uh, the, uh, 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 the, the troubling religious war. So any commerce between the two sides would have been very difficult. By the time we reached the Elizabethan era, which is, of course, just a couple of monarchs later after Henry VIII, Elizabeth the first being the daughter of um, Henry VIII, um, uh, music at the court of England had changed so much that they were using very um, strongly Italianate music. Mm. So what happens is that the, the, the whole um, in, in the, the, how music got informed and enriched in England um, was through the work of people like the Bassanos. And we have we really ought to keep in mind the fact that Shakespeare and all his generation thrived during this time. And their, their plays um, uh, that, were, that were being performed at the Globe Theatre um, were set to music. And they were always surrounded by music. And the music being played came from this tradition. Uh, eventually, that led to Henry Purcell and so on and so forth. Um, what we um, are doing on our side of it is we're presenting a, 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 another aspect of the program. Thomas and Holden from the consort will be playing music from Henry VIII um, using period instruments so we have a rough approximation of what the audience heard at the time. Okay. Which is incredibly special. What we're going to do with uh, Wicked Music People is we're going to join Thomas and concert, but they're, they're going to put down their Renaissance instruments and they're going to pick up Baroque instruments, Baroque recorders, which are tuned differently. They have a different sound, a different character, a different soul. And we're going to play music from the era of another absolutist monarch, Louis XIV, um, the, the, the Sun King. And I think that's where the connection will be. And I think as a member of the audience, for the audience, um, what they'll get to experience is basically two to three hundred years of music all presented to them uh, uh, in one go. And that's quite special. Uh, from our perspective, uh, in Malaysia, we don't get to hear Renaissance music played on Renaissance instruments at all. 
Um, we have music people, we do tend to do that once in a while, but we play on the rock instrument, so it's, mm. uh, it's a mechanism. Um, so this is really, really, really quite special. I'm, I'm sorry to plug the program so much. No, not at all. It is really, really quite special what Thomas and his colleagues will be bringing to, to this country. No, that's amazing. And and uh, actually, the program was actually my next question. You know, the, the, the music that we will hear when we come for this concert, uh, would either of you like to tell us what's in store? Yeah, so with the recorders, we will uh, play um, only music from the 16th century, uh, mainly the second half of the 16th century. And we have divided it in a few uh, uh, blocks of music. So we start off with an Italian block with mainly vocal music. Mm -hmm. We know that this vocal music was also played on instruments. Of course, instruments are maybe um, a little bit more uh, um, agile than the voice and can make certain embellishments, which were called diminutions. There was a huge practice on diminutions, so uh, diminuating, making long note values smaller, dividing it into smaller notes and making beautiful diminutions. So we start off the program with this practice, so um, uh, improvising diminutions and playing vocal music with added uh, um, diminutions on our recorders. Some of the vocal music we'll play are madrigals, which is a typical Italian uh, free, uh, uh, not not, uh, religious uh, uh, form. Um, uh, with of very be- based on very beautiful uh, uh, Italian Renaissance uh, poetry, like Petrarca, and it's nice to make the connection indeed with uh, uh, with the England then actually and, and and Shakespeare and the theater, uh, which is also of course a secular uh, genre. And then we will also be playing some uh, dance music, because of course uh, that word. But I would say the, the, the two main genres at that time, dance music or uh, vocal music. And uh, also some instrumental pieces from the English uh, Renaissance, where, for example, William Byrd is a very famous name. And we know that he was a very virtuoso keyboard player. And he um, um, exactly he composed a lot of music for consorts, actually, also. Um, and um, we will play Holborn, of course, after which we named our group. These were two brothers, also composers at the uh, court in England, who wrote absolutely beautiful music, uh, a lot of uh, fun tunes and dance music, great, great stuff. So that's what our program is made up of. This, so the Italian aspect, the vocal aspect from Italy, and the diminution practice, and then the uh, the English Renaissance music. Mm-hmm. And wicked music people, uh, you and uh, talk to me about you know I guess you know what what is very ex- what is uh, exciting you most about this uh, this program lineup? Probably everything I know, but yeah, in particular, anything. <laughs> I think, um, I think before we, sorry, if, before we go there, uh, Thomas brought up the topic of diminutions. Diminutions yes. are fascinating. Um, and especially today with the internet, you can actually download, um, you can download the manual yep. on how to make diminutions. Um, basically, if you have any um, two notes, one long note, uh, music is always indexed to time, how much time you spend. Uh, playing a certain note. And as as um, the Renaissance progresses, we find a way to make diminution smaller notes, which is basically the the, the basis for improvisation. And in that sense, dimin- the Renaissance diminutions and jazz have a lot in common. Really? A lot more in common than most people realize. Um, and, and being able to improvise 
is a skill that both disciplines require. So in order to play, I mean, you have this idea in your head that if you play Baroque and Renaissance music, you're basically stuck to the manuscript. You're going to play exam pieces yes. again and again and again, and it's been done to death. But that's not actually true. You actually make the stuff up as you go. And the, 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 the work of music is a continuous conversation between the composer, the performer, and the audience. And the fact that we're able to do this in the 21st century today we're literally having a conversation with the past now for an audience that could be young, old, Malaysian, whatever. I think that the immediacy, the emotional immediacy of this music, the impact of it really transcends time, space, everything. That's what makes it so incredibly special. So yes, the entire program is very special. Uh, we go from um, music at the court of Henry VIII and um, the, the, the politics of the time, um, the fact that the um, Holborn, uh, music of Holborn has Spanish names and, and played an English court. And then we go to our part of the program where we get music people joins Holborn concert, uh, consort and, and we start to play uh, music by Purcell, by Lily, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, this gives the, the, the whole program a completely different character. And you get to hear um, how the soundscape changes. And I think that's um, also a very, very important aspect of um, this music. We tend to think of Baroque and Renaissance music as monolithic, that, that there's mm. only one way, one, one, one sound that you hear. But actually, it was so heterogeneous that it changed um, uh, over the course of just five years because you have so many different countries, so many different peoples, so many different cultural um, bases from which to express yourself using... Um, uh, shared techniques such as gym diminutions, such as improvisations. So you get this very rich tapestry that encompasses all of Europe and ignores all the other prejudices and wars and, 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 and crazy stuff that was going on at the time. And um, uh, You had, I suppose, at some point, somebody will do a study and find that you have people smuggling manuscripts across borders in order to to, uh, we know that this happened in the court of uh, Henry VIII. Um, and we, we, we have music from that era, consort music, that was imported by um, the Catholic underground into <laughs> Europe. Uh, Thomas mentioned William Byrd. William Byrd was a Catholic composer working in the Protestant court. Uh, this was all very, very fascinating. So I know it's a bit geeky. No, <laughs> no, no. I actually, I giggled at Catholic underground. Sorry. That's why as, as a Catholic myself, <laughs> I found that very funny. Sorry. But no, no, it's it's fascinating. Uh, Not geeky it at is, all. It, it is really, really interesting. And, and I think that the one mistake that we will make is to think of this as the past as something that's alien. It's actually not. The people who lived in these times, the people who wrote music and played music in these times were very much like us. And I think that the emotions and passions that, that inspired them to play this music, despite being persecuted or despite having um, no money, and uh, there are all these, these, these issues that, which we face today, um, that's the universal part of this music. That's why this music speaks to us. I think I'm speaking for a bit for Thomas now, but I think this music mm -hmm. speaks. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I, I completely agree. And also what is what I admire so much, actually like studying these instruments and also indeed these diminution treatises and these books with instruction on how, on how to um, uh, improvise, basically. Um, the craftsmanship and skill that these people must have had, it's really, really incredible.
And like indeed what you like nowadays, jazz musicians that that just can uh, by the ear indeed, but on a very often a very uh, a simple uh, uh, bass uh, basis, um, but can make such incredibly rhythmically, harmonically, uh, te- just instrumentally, technically such complicated diminutions. For example, Ganassi um, uh, was what which you mentioned is a very early, maybe the earliest one of the earliest treatises. Um, and it's a huge, huge treatise. It has, I don't know how many hundreds of exercises and also only rhythmically already, it goes into, uh, I mean, it's a bit technical maybe, but it goes, it indeed this division of long notes. And I think it goes up to divisions in 13 notes, which are very seven and 13 and nine, very irregular patterns that nowadays, I mean, that's also why I think they didn't have really the, means to write this down Um, so that's why improvisation is such a good tool of course because you can fit in the time that is given you can at the moment fit in make as many notes work as you can manage and uh, well this is incredibly fascinating and inspiring and it also says i think it teaches us something about um um, technology and uh, time also that not always uh, everything is an improvement so times and styles change but i think this is like this kind of style and also these instruments um teach us that um uh every time and style has their own charm and for example because for example the renaissance flutes they look from the outside very simple they are just wooden pipes and they are they don't have many or they don't have any ornaments they just have their shape and then if you compare it to the baroque instruments they have this beautiful wood carving they're very often ornamented with ivory with expensive materials and then you have these wooden renaissance flutes and they look very simple but then actually that's of course heiko's more heiko's area if you talk to an instrument maker he will tell you that the the complexity of these seemingly simple instruments from the outside is incredible that the bore pattern it's very 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 difficult to make a good working instrument with these um, um with this given and um uh, yeah, so that's that's also something very, uh, very, yeah, very important, and that the, these these people were incredibly skilled. Okay. Okay. So really, this is a very, very special concert that we're going to be seeing. Uh, I don't think we've probably ever seen it in. I don't know. You uh, and would I be right in saying we've probably not seen something like this in Malaysia before? Never before. Never before, right? So okay, and I do know uh, Thomas that you are actually traveling uh, across a few states first, right? Before you uh, come to KL, you want to tell us a little bit about you know some of the things that you've got planned uh, for this tour. Yes, I um, we play our first concert um, on the third of February in um, uh, I don't know if I pronounce it right in Seremban. Seremban, yes. Seremban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at Aurora Music. And the day after, we play in Malacca in Christchurch, which I've performed before uh, five years ago, which is for me a very special memory because um, it's a church that an 18th century church that was um, uh, made by the uh, by the Dutch um, who were uh, who were there, and um, it was for me very strange to be so far from home and to see so many Dutch elements. So it was really. Like I was, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it felt very, very strange to know I'm so far away. But then I see all these elements and think, hey, this, I recognize this. <laughs> I recognize the style of the building. There's a Dutch graveyard where you can read 
gravestone, I could read really the, 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 the stones from the 16th century where it said like, Pete so-and-so uh, uh, died there and their sailor and his trade and really whole little sheet of information on this Dutch person that, uh, that was buried there. So that's, that's a very um, special place also for me to play also in this, in this acoustics there and with this history. And um, then on the 6th of February, we play in uh, KS Strings Recital Hall in, I'm not sure it's uh, Selangor, no? It's or, yes, Selangor, yes. Yeah, that's, where we play. Yes. That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then... So I've never been, uh, I've only been once in uh, Kuala Lumpur, but not, uh, not in Selangor, I think. So uh, that will be uh, nice. And I've never, of course, now it's the first time that I see uh, UN. So I'm really, uh, uh, we have been in contact, of course, over... Uh, um, over email and WhatsApp um, to make the program, but I'm also really looking forward to uh, to uh, play with the Wicked Music people. Mm-hmm. Thomas, you actually don't remember, but I was there in Malacca. <laughs> ah, <laughs> we have met. The harpsichord we brought down there. That was that was our harpsichord. Yes, and of course, <laughs> yes. Now suddenly all the dots connect. Yes. <laughs> And at that concert, Thomas had brought a whole collection of very expensive recorders and he put them on, on, on the table. And I said, Thomas, you're going to have a problem because of the humidity. <laughs> you're, you're, the, mm-hmm. It's going to jam up. And I think, I, think, I think the wonderful thing about it is then Thomas went off and had lunch mm-hmm. and he left all his instruments there. <laughs> this is something that Malaysians go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so much. Uh, it was so good to see. It was just so wonderful to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so great to have Thomas back um, uh, in Malaysia. Um, I think we're all speaking English um, today mm-hmm. um, because we think that um, uh, the legacy of British colonialism has had such a great impact. Yes, it has. And and we are, our institutions are are, are primarily uh, English, but the Dutch were in Malaya far longer than the British ever were. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they were confined to Malacca. Uh, but today, I think um, there are influences uh, in some of our words. Um, for example, the Malay word for, for, for the, the iron and so on. And, and our cuisine has some traces of Dutch influences. And of course, in Malacca, there's the architecture. But it's so great to have this meeting again. Um, I think it it, it, it it is a reflection of uh, in time of what the Bassanos did when they left Venice to England. Now we have Thomas coming and his group <laughs> to Malaysia, bringing essentially music that is alien to both our cultures, <laughs> Italian and English, yep. to play mm-hmm. out of time and yet be able to sing uh, and to speak and to be heard um, in this world today. I think that's incredibly amazing. It does. Everything yeah. sounds truly, truly amazing. And um, it's, but you know, unfortunately, it's only a one night uh, performance here in uh, here in Slango, here in PJ. Uh, and that again, as as uh, Thomas said, is on the sixth. Uh, am I correct? The sixth of February. Yeah. And that's over at, let me just get that again. And that's over at the KS Strings Recital Hall in PJ. Uh, How can we get our hands on tickets? Maybe Ewan, would you know, would you know how we can get our hands on tickets? Uh, Yeah. Contact KS Strings directly. Contact. Um, uh, Yeah. Uh, KS Strings is an interesting um, organization. They're actually luthiers. They make violins Uh, of an exceptionally high standard. 
Okay. Um, and they recently renovated their studio uh, to include a performance space. Uh, it's it's out near. It's just out past Mutiara um, Damansara, out past uh, Ikea. Yep, just yep. further, just a little bit further along the road, uh, down near Tropicana Gardens Mall. Okay. Um, and I think to to get tickets, just ring Kea Strings, or you can you can uh, go Google them. Um, everything's there. Okay. The information you can Would you know how much ticket prices are? I couldn't find that information. Um, yes, it's sixty ringgit for an adult and fifty ringgit for concessions. Okay. All right. Okay, all right. So so the concert will take place at 8pm on Tuesday, the 6th of February. Again, uh, as the gentleman mentioned, at KS Strings PJ Recital Hall, which is in Plangi Damansara. Uh, you can book tickets online. I'll pop the link in the podcast. Or you can contact KS Strings at 012-624-0425. Again, as you had mentioned, ticket prices are 60 ringgit for adults and 50 ringgit for concessions. Gentlemen, I'm afraid we've run out of time, but thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Can't wait to uh, see you guys here in performance again as you said uh, never before seen in Malaysia so this is really a one of a kind thing uh, don't miss the opportunity and I think uh, seating is quite limited right so we really should get our tickets quite soon yeah okay. yes uh, the seats are running out so, so do please book quickly okay alright gentlemen thank you so much for joining me today any concluding message that you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, either of you or both of you yeah Thomas you want to go first Yes, well, I'm very, very uh, excited to uh, to come to Malaysia and to uh, to play this uh, beautiful uh, this mu- beautiful music for for the audiences there. So thanks a lot to you, Juliet, for this uh, very wonderful interview. My pleasure. Uh, you and how about for you? Any any message to our listeners out there? I have two things. I think um, very briefly. I think Thomas is far too modest to mention. But Thomas <laughs> and his group are, are, are they're kind of superstars in Europe. So I think it's it, it, it's it's such a treat to be to be able to have them here in Malaysia, um, uh, and not just one concert, but three concerts in three different cities. Um, and the second thing is that um, I think if you're a student of music, whether or not you are an active performer or you just love hearing music um, from the past, from the present, um, there is so much that is packed into this program uh, that is at, at 60 ringgit is a very small price to pay for, for a concert ticket of this magnitude. My thanks to both of you for joining me today. I was speaking to Thomas Trishine uh, with the Holborn Consort and Yuan Ng with the Wicked Music People. We were talking about the Southeast Asia tour of the Holborn Consort. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash front dash row. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.